0: Chapter 34 of Carpenter's Geographical Reader, Asia, by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. The Cities of India Today we are to see something of the cities of India. There are many large ones, and some of them are commercial and manufacturing centers. Calcutta, Madras, and Bombay are all great seaports, at which hundreds of steamers call every year and hyderabad look now, benares allahabad delhi and lahore are amongst the important trading places of the interior where vast numbers of workmen are making things for the markets at home and abroad the indians are a most industrious people being always busy in farming or in manufacturing of one kind or other They live in settlements, large and small, scattered over the country. The homes of the farmers are in villages, and not on the lands they cultivate, as with us. There are more than 750,000 such villages in India, and more than 2,000 towns, in addition to a great many cities, each of which has 50,000 people or more. Calcutta is as big as Philadelphia, Bombay is bigger than Boston, and Madras exceeds Cleveland in size. We shall begin our explorations with Calcutta. It was formerly the capital of the Indian Empire, although it has been decided to move the seat of government to Delhi in the interior. The viceroy had his headquarters at Calcutta for most of the year, and there also live the officials of the departments through which the country is governed. Calcutta lies on the Hughley River, which forms one of the mouths of the Ganges, being situated on the east bank about 80 miles west of the Bay of Bengal. In coming in from the bay, we sail up the river through jungles so low and unhealthy that they are given over to the tigers and other wild beasts which roam there at will. A few miles farther up the stream, the land rises, and we now and then pass a mud village with palm trees waving above it. As we proceed, the population grows denser and we soon come into a region of mighty jute mills where bagging and other coarse cloths are manufactured for export to the United States and Europe. Farther on, we pass vessels heavily loaded coming in and going out and learn that the trade of Calcutta annually amounts to hundreds of millions of dollars and that it has a great part of the foreign commerce of India which is more than a billion dollars per annum and is increasing each year the hugley is filled with shipping and it is in the midst of great steamers that we come to anchor in the heart of the city there are buildings on both sides of the river and on the east bank where we land they extend for miles up and down the stream and far back into the country we drive through a wide street and across a great park to one of the leading hotels It faces a public garden and is on the Chowringe Road, which is lined with mansions and other fine buildings. This famous city is sometimes called the City of Palaces. It has many magnificent structures, the homes of British officials and wealthy East Indians. It has fine public buildings, such as the post office, the town hall, and the high courts. The palace formerly occupied by the Governor-General is much like the White House at Washington, except that it is larger and grander. It is situated at the end of a wide park known as the Maidan, which is several miles long. It contains a race track and grounds for tennis, cricket, and golf. At the upper end of the Maidan is a zoological garden, where one may see tigers which had been recently brought in from the jungle. They are still wild and dash themselves against the bars of their cages as we come near. Here also are the botanical gardens where stands the great banyan tree so famous throughout the world. The limbs of the banyan send down roots which penetrate the earth and grow into firm trunks or living pillars supporting the limbs from which they come. The main trunk of this great banyan has a circumference of fifty feet and its branches extend far out on all sides. From each large branch the roots have gone down into the ground, so that it has altogether 562 columns supporting it. As we look at it, it seems to be a mighty tent of green, the leaves uniting and forming a canopy covering more than an acre. When we lie down on the ground, the support seemed to be a forest of tree trunks of various sizes, and as we raise our eyes we see that each is joined to a limb, which runs out from the trunk, almost horizontally overhead. Some of the roots are short. They support the lower limbs. Others are twenty or thirty feet long, and are joined to a branch higher up. Some are as thick as a man's leg, others not so thick as one's finger. Some are as fine as a hair and sway to and fro in the breeze. They are growing downward, but have not yet caught the earth banyan trees are among the peculiarities of this part of the world we shall find them here and there as we go over india although none is so big as this great tree at calcutta driving back through the maidan we visit fort william a large stone-walled enclosure which forms the headquarters of the army it has many native soldiers whom we watch as they go through their drill we then ride on into the official and business quarters here the buildings are large and the stores are fine we stop at the post office facing a beautiful lake on Dalhousie square and on its walls read an inscription which states that the marble pavement below marks the site of the black hole this was a horrible prison into which on the night of the twentieth of june seventeen fifty six at the command of the nawab who then ruled here one hundred and forty six british inhabitants of calcutta were cast and only twenty-three came out alive that act created great indignation in england and an army was sent out to punish the nawab thus beginning the foundation of the british empire of india leaving the business section we go on to the river to watch the people bathing in the waters of the Hugli, which as they come from the ganges are considered holy and able to wash away sin we visit some of the temples and especially that of the terrible goddess Kali, after whom Calcutta is named. This temple is 300 years old, and the idol within it, which represents Kali, has a necklace of skulls, and about its waist is a girdle of dead men's hands. The people are offering sacrifices to Kali. They bring in kids and goats, which they kill in the court, sprinkling the blood on her altar. As we move about through Calcutta, We meet types of some of the many tribes of India. The people are of all colors, and each has a strange costume. There are men from the Himalayas with faces as fair as our own, men from the northwest who are brown or yellow, and some from the great central and eastern plains, whose skins are as black as a negro's, although they have features like ours. There are Brahmins, or priests, who go about with their heads shaved, except for a tuft on the crown. They wear only a sheet wrapped around their half-naked bodies. There are Mohammedans, black and yellow, wearing turbans and gowns. Clings, the color of ebony, clad all in white, and cream-colored Parsees. The latter have brimless hats which look like inverted coal scuttles, and frock coats buttoned up to the neck, with skin-tight trousers below. We see scores of half-naked black-and-brown babies at play in the streets, and turbaned men dressed in white go by on the trot, carrying burdens. The vehicles are of every description. There are carriages drawn by magnificent horses, each with its coachman and footmen riding on the box, and with two servants on the step, standing behind. There are garries, or box-shaped East Indian cabs, pulled by lean horses and driven by men wearing liveries of gay gowns and bright-colored turbans. There are carts drawn by cattle with humps on their backs, and now and then we see a sulky-like carriage to which is harnessed a bullock wearing a bright-colored blanket. Among the strange sights are the sleek, fat bulls which roam through the streets. The people consider cows and bulls holy and allow them to go where they please. We see them walking upon the sidewalks and even eating at the vegetable stalls in the markets. Next to Calcutta, the largest city of india is bombay on the opposite side of the peninsula let us suppose ourselves there we are in a beautiful city of over a million built upon a cluster of islands about a magnificent harbor outside the town are great cotton mills and within are large foreign stores and hotels fine schools and an immense railroad station there is also a native section of shops and bazaars and suburbs where all sorts of manufacturing goes on. There are many ships in the harbor and an extensive trade is carried on with Europe, Africa, and also with Persia and other countries in Asia. At one side of Bombay in a park upon a hill looking out over the sea are five white towers about which vultures are flying and to which we see a procession of men marching carrying a large white bundle which rests on their shoulders. Those are the famed Towers of Silence, where the Parsis lay out their dead. The bundle the men are carrying is the body of a human being, who has just died. The body will be stripped and laid naked on the top of the towers, and the vultures will eat the flesh and pick the bones dry. The Parsis are fire-worshippers, and this disposal of the dead is a custom of their religion. They are a remarkable people— there are only about 100,000 of them in the world but they are noted for their intelligence integrity and business ability they have banks in all the great cities of india and are to be found in the chief business centres of southern and eastern asia there are more of them at bombay than anywhere else the parsees came to india from persia generations ago and they still have the religion of the old persians which was founded by a man named zoroaster they consider the sun the highest visible type of the Creator, and worship fire as one of its emblems. They believe in one God, who they say has created for every person, two spirits, who are always engaged, fighting for the soul they have been appointed to guard. One of the spirits is good, and the other evil. And according, as the man favors the good or the bad, he will ascend to heaven or descend to hell." The Parsees keep fires burning in their temples, and they have one at Bombay which is said never to have gone out during hundreds of years. Madras, the third city of India in size, is situated on the west coast of the Bay of Bengal and about 1,000 miles from Calcutta. It is a commercial, manufacturing, and educational center, being the chief seaport of southern Hindustan. It has a harbor protected by breakwaters but the sea is usually so rough that great steamers pitch about when close to the wharves, and it takes some skill to land. We go from Bombay by rail to Madras, and later take the train to another great city, which is ruled by the most powerful of the Indian princes. This is Hyderabad, the capital of the Nizam, who governs a country as large as Kansas and inhabited by over 11 million people. Hyderabad alone, having over 500,000. The city stands in the midst of a wild, rocky country. It has a huge wall about it, which is six miles in circumference, and this is entered by 13 wide gates. The people here are from all parts of India, and among those we see on the streets are Turks, Persians, Arabs, and Moors. The Nizam is a Mohammedan, and many Mohammedans come to his country to trade during our stay we visit the palaces they cover many acres and house altogether about seven thousand officials and others their courtyards are full of armed retainers horsemen and servants of various kinds the nizam rules in great state his men wear gorgeous liveries and when he rides out it is often upon elephants and with all the splendor that the princes of india displayed in the past he uses also the automobile and motor-car of the present, and has his private car upon the railroads. The Nizam governs his country under the direction of the English, although he has more power than some of the other Indian princes whom we may meet farther on. End of chapter 34